excited to see you guys and uh, braving the, the nasty kind of weather. And as always, want to welcome our, our Boynton uh, campus and everyone at Church at Home. And I'm really, really excited about this series because I really believe um, that this is going to help all of us just walk in greater victory. Um, I just think that what we're going to be talking about in this series is going to be so helpful for you guys and, and for all of us to be, begin to become everything God created us to be and to live life um, without regrets. And I want to start out by talking about something that's kind of a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but, but have you ever kind of noticed in life, I want to see if you can relate to this, have you ever kind of noticed in life that so many of the things that you want to do are, are not good for you, right? And so many of the things that you don't want to do are actually beneficial for yourself. Have you ever noticed that? Like it feels like life's an uphill battle. It's kind of like this for a moment, right? It's kind of like thinking about kale, Like there's no one here or at home or Boynton anywhere in the whole world going, oh my gosh, is that kale? I can't take that. Like that is so tempting. <laughs> if you are tempted by kale, you have greater issues than we can help you here. I'm just telling you. I'm just sorry. There's just nothing to do. But, but listen to this. But, but if you will do or you'll partake in what you don't want to partake in, which is raw kale, right? And, and you do it over time. Isn't it interesting that you'll actually feel better? Right? You'll, you'll actually sleep better. You'll probably uh, feel better about yourself. You, you have a better immune system. Things will, Like your life would actually be better if you would eat it, but you don't want to eat it. But in the opposite way, right? A Rice Krispie Treat. Like the greatest dessert ever invented, by the way, just for the record. And you don't need to add anything to them. I hate when they put like Fruit Loops or Oreo cookies or peanut. It's like you don't need any. It's perfect. You don't need to add anything to Rice Krispie Treat. But it's interesting, right? But, but this you desire. You crave. Like you want all. I just, man, that would be amazing. It's incredible. But if I partake in this and do what I want to do, if I continually do that over time, all the time, and do what I want, what will happen? I'll have sugar diabetes. Right? I'm not going to feel good. I'm not going to sleep well. I'm not going to feel good about myself. I'm going to die at a younger age. Like, my life will be less fulfilling. In other words, I want you to see this. That, that there, if you do what you don't want to do, your life can be better. But if you always do what you feel like or want and desire, your life is actually worse. That I want us to understand the reality that we have these desires to do what we don't want to do. The same thing happens in relationships. Your feelings, your emotions. Like if someone's done something wrong to you, they've lied about you, they've, they've stole from you, they've, they've tried to kind of like push you down to rise up, or they, they've betrayed you in some way. The last thing you feel like doing is forgiving them, right? Like there's no one that goes, oh, it's great. That person lied about me, stole, stole from me, and tried to put me down. Oh, this is wonderful. I just feel like I just want to let them off. Like, isn't it real? Like, let's just be, let's just be honest with you. Like, isn't it you that when someone does something wrong to you, you're like, God, could you smite them or something? And I mean, just like, just to set an example so they don't do it in the future, Lord. So I just, a little smite would be great. I just want justice, God. I want grace for myself. But I want justice for anyone that kind of does anything for me. Like, if someone wrongs me, like, I want the legal right to bring up what they've done wrong in every argument for the next year. Like every time, well, yeah, I know, what you, I know what I did that, but do you remember when you, you know what I'm talking about? And men, if you're married, they get like 20 years, just for the record, for everything <laughs> you've, you've ever done. 
Because there's something in us, right, that goes, I don't want to forgive. I want to make them pay. I want justice. And yet the reality is if you do, if you don't forgive, if you don't do that, psychologists will tell you it's one of the root causes of most of, most of the mental unhealth in, in people stems from people somewhere in their life have done something to them and they're not able to forgive. And I'm not saying you let them back in your life. I'm not saying that you let them continue to harm you. But what saying is that you're not able to forgive them for what they've done and you're holding on and that bitterness is actually destroying everything in your life. But if you do what you don't feel like doing, right, you give them forgiveness, that in the, the day you're you find freedom. You find peace. You, you find both spiritual and, and once again, emotional mental health. And here's why I say these things. I want us to understand. What I want us to understand is at the core between you and me, that there are desires that we have. There are feelings that we have of things that we want to do, listen to this, that are not good for us. They're not beneficial. They will not help us be the people we want to be. They won't help us experience the relationships or the life that we want to experience. And yet we desire to do what is wrong, and there are things that we don't desire to do that are actually right and beneficial. In fact, it's literally the definition of temptation. Look at the definition of temptation. It's the desire. We want to, what? To do something either morally wrong, I'm gonna feel bad about it later, I'm gonna feel guilty, or, I love this last part, or unwise. Meaning we're gonna desire to do it, but even if it isn't morally maybe wrong, it's not gonna be beneficial for our lives. We're gonna look back and go, I regret that choice, even though what? I desired it. Like, I wanted it in the moment. It felt right, it seemed right, it felt good, I wanna do it, but in the long run, it is less beneficial. It either brings a spiritual issue or, once again, a physical issue. And I want us to understand that. That at the end of the day, while we're doing a series on temptation, is because all of us have natural desires that are not beneficial. Look what the Bible tells us. I want you to see this. Uh, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. So where does temptation come from? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? By his own desires. It's in you. You have a natural desire, a, a feeling, an emotion, a lot in your mind, your thoughts, your desire to do things that we shouldn't do. And we're enticed. And then when the desire has conceived, we've, we've made the choice, we've given in the temptation, it gives birth to sin, and, the, the, and then what happens there? And then when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Death to relationships, death to your dreams, death to the future, death to your family, death spiritually. And, and, and yet at the end of the day, where does it all stem from? Your own desires. And I know that's depressing. <laughs> But I think it's so important that we begin to understand, parents, as you're raising your children, as you're walking through adolescence and life, that you're not weird. There's nothing wrong with you. That this is part of human nature, is that you have desires to do things that aren't good. They're not beneficial. And what we've got to learn to do is how to face those desires and still make the right choices so, once again, we don't deal with the consequences of that. Now, here's the second reason why we got to talk about temptation. Because you don't just have a natural desire or natural temptations. You have a supernatural or spiritual tempter. See, the Bible tells us that we have Satan. He's our adversary. He roams around like a hungry lion seeking to devour. That that we know that he is out there to tempt. We see it in Jesus' life. We saw it in Adam and Eve, where you have a real spiritual being who tries to entice using our own natural desires to get us to walk off the course that God has for us and actually um, begin to experience the consequence. He loves to kill, to rob, destroy, to mess us up. And we are in a 
real battle with not just our natural desires, but a spiritual enemy who's trying to take us out. And this is why this is so important for us to understand. And this is why we're walking through this series in the next few weeks, and I'm really excited about it. Because my heart is to get us to that place in our lives where when the spiritual enemy begins to use your natural desires to get you to rob you of the life that God has and the person that God's called you to be, and he wants to destroy your life, that we're able to discern and understand. That we're able to stand face-to-face with temptation and triumph over it. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be walking through some strategies to help you walk in greater victory and greater triumph over these temptations so you can step into everything that God has called and created you to be. Now, in order to do this, I want to start the whole series out to what I believe to be is literally the foundation of every temptation. In fact, what you're going to learn today is you're going to see at the core of this temptation that everything we talk about, that every temptation you will face in your life, that this core is either going to increase temptation temptation or decrease temptation. It's either going to help you live in victory or have you once again live in defeat. And we're going to look at, once again, the core of all temptation. Now, in order to do that, what I want to do is I want to go back in time and I want to look at the very first temptation that we ever see happen between, uh, between man, once again, we know about this, Adam and Eve in the garden. And I want us to look at this temptation because I really believe that there are some incredible things that we can learn from this. Because too often what happens, I want you to see this, that too often what happens in the story is we get this imagery, in, in, you know, in Sunday school or whatever, and we get this imagery of this first temptation, and there's two naked people eating an apple by a tree talking to a snake. And we're like, that's great. That's wonderful. If I'm ever naked by a tree and a serpent talks to me, I'm just going to not do what he says. And so what we do is we disconnect ourselves from the story because we think, well, this doesn't relate. But here's what I want you to see, and you're going to see this today is the same exact strategy that the enemy used to Adam and Eve to defeat them and destroy their lives is the same exact strategy that he is using today. And just like he is successful, was successful in their life, I'm telling you, he's more successful than you realize in your life. It's just not a, it's not a serpent talking to you. It's something else. But I want you to see the core. Now, in order to do this, and we're going to look at this, we're going to look at the root of this. But in order to do this, I want to help set the stage of what happened and what's happening in the lives of Adam and Eve in the moments preceding the temptation and the fail. Because unless you understand the context of it, you won't understand the way that the enemy once again attacks. Now, to kind of set the stage, God creates Adam and Eve, right? He creates Adam and Eve in his image. He created them. He created them and, and gave them this place called paradise. We call it the Garden of Eden. And in this garden was a place that God dwelled with man. And so you see that God's heavenly family, the angels and God, would walk around and have conversations with Adam and Eve. So God is a heavenly family and an earthly family. And they all intersected in this this garden paradise on earth. Now, God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them this incredibly, incredibly amazing task. Hey, guys, I want you to go ahead and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That's a great command. Thank you very much for that one, God. All right, that's the first one. And then secondly, I want you to rule it. I want you to subdue it. I want you to go build my family on this earth. I want you to go build cities and nations, and I want you to build all of these people created in my image, and it's gonna be this amazing relation between God and man, the heavenly family, the earthly family. This is the story of why God created mankind. 
Now, in that, God actually gave them, and what we know is, is what God had held something back from them. And the one thing that he held back was he did not give them what we would be calling what's a sinful nature. In other words, they didn't battle with the same temptations that we had. It wasn't awakened in them. The best way to describe it for me is like, if you've ever had a child, you know that at a certain age when your children are little, there, there are certain temptations they're just not even aware of. Like they, like they run around like naked everywhere. They have no, they don't care. Like they have no, their, their mind isn't thinking. They're, they haven't yet awakened that part of their being in life. So this is kind of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have been given this incredible relationship with God. They've been given this incredible purpose, subdue the whole world, do all these great things. But inside of them, God had withheld from them some of the struggles that we battle. Things like pride and lust and greed and anger and unforgiveness. And some of this nature, God says, I'm not even going to give you the knowledge of evil. But because God, people often ask, why did you put that tree, God, why did God put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But because God wanted a relationship with him. And because you cannot have a relationship with someone without choice. Like you have, it's not a relationship, it's called slavery, by the way, if they don't have a choice. And so God goes to Adam and Eve, I'm gonna give you this choice. Will you trust me? I'm gonna give you all the trees of all the garden to you enjoy. I'm gonna give you the earth to subdue. I'm gonna give you this relationship with me. I'm gonna give you each other and this family. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you with everything in the world. But here's what I'm gonna do. I'm also gonna give you a choice. And in the center of a garden, I'm gonna put one single tree. And in that tree, if you partake of that fruit, what will happen is it will awaken in you the knowledge of evil. If you do this, this, this will cause you to die. This will end the relationship. And so you have to choose, Adam and Eve, will you trust me and live life the way that I've called, or will you go after that shiny, good-looking fruit? And so we pick up the story of Adam and Eve and the first temptation. And I want you to notice, what is the strategy the enemy uses with Adam and Eve to get them to fall? And here's what you'll see. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? Starts questioning God, right? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Notice the conversation. We continue. Here we go. I want you to see if you can see it. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And here's, I want you to see the strategy. Notice the strategy of Satan. You will not surely die. You will not surely die. You can't trust what God said. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. At the heart of the temptation, do you see what it is? Don't think about the serpent and the people by the tree. I want you to get to the heart. What is Satan trying to do in the heart of Adam and Eve to get them to fall? You can't trust God. Do you see it? Hey, listen, um, you, you're not, God said it, but you didn't mean it. Like, you're not gonna really die. No, I know what God said, but he, that's, you can't trust God. Oh, and by the way, not only that, look what he's holding out from you. Like, see, if you eat this, your eyes will be open, your ways. I mean, look at what God's, God's, see, here's the reality, Eve. You can't trust God. God's holding out on you. Look how good this is, how good you will feel. Look at all the things that you will get if you will simply do and follow your feelings, follow your heart, follow your desires. Trust yourself, but you cannot trust God. And then what happens next? And here's what you see. So when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, success, power, all of these things, she took it and she ate it and then gave some to her husband and he ate it as well. And the rest is history. And the enemy wins and they give in to temptation and their lives 
are destroyed because of the choice that they made. But here's what I want you to see, and this is such a powerful thing to understand, is I was thinking about this as I was working on this series, is that God put this tree in the middle of the garden, which means Adam and Eve would have walked by this tree thousands of times. Like every time they wanted to go from one side to the other, there's this tree sitting in the middle with all of its shiny fruit, whatever fruit it was, we don't know, right? And it was never too tempting that Eve would give in. Like an Adam would give in. They walked by it how many times? They never fell. They never ate. They never took it. Even though it may look good, once again, they had such trust in God and God had given them so many other things. It was like it wasn't a problem. But notice this. It wasn't until what? It wasn't until Satan began to get Eve to not trust God that all of a sudden the temptation became great. It wasn't until as Eve, or excuse me, Satan went to Adam and Eve and hey, look at this. God, God said it, but you know, that's not gonna really happen. I know what you know he said, but not, he didn't mean that. Oh no, no, no. Look, look at all the things God's holding out on you, Eve. Look at your life. You're gonna gain wisdom and power. You're gonna be like God. Like, like Eve, you cannot trust God. And what you discover, it wasn't until Satan eroded trust in what God's word and his relationship and God's love and his wisdom, it wasn't until he eroded trust that temptation was so powerful that she and Adam gave in. In fact, I want you to see this because this will be the foundation. I'm gonna show you this today. This is the foundation of almost every temptation that you will face. It is not just about the desire. At a deeper level, it will stem to trust. In fact, you will see these two principles throughout this series I want you to see. And here's they are. When trust in God increases, temptation decreases. Right? So when even Adam walked by that tree a thousand times, I, I trust God. It's, I, whatever, it may look good, but somehow I know God must know things I don't know. I trust he has the best, our best you know, uh, uh, at, at heart in life. and He loves me, he cares for me, he's smart, he's wise. I'm good. But when, temp, when, when trust in God what decreases, what happens? De- de- the temptation increases. In other words, I want you to see this, that at the core, the power, the root of what the enemy has in your life, what if you strip back everything back, not just the moment of temptation that maybe you gave in or you failed or the desire that overtook you, at the core of it, somewhere in your heart, what you begin to go is, God, I don't know if I can trust you. And so I'm gonna choose to do what I feel like doing and wanna do and desire to do rather than trusting in you. And what you will discover, listen to this, you can strip everything back and go all to all. You go to every temptation you will face and your kids will face, the next generation faces. And at the end of it, what you will discover is that Satan is doing the exact same thing today as he did all those thousands of years ago is he's trying to convince us you can't trust God and his word with your life, with your feelings, with your desires. You can't trust him. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at this. And I want to look at two ways, two ways that Satan eroded trust with Adam and Eve. And then I want to show you this, that you're going to discover that he is doing the same thing today to you and me. Now listen, I'm going to look at these two strategies. I want you to see these because these are two ways that Satan is effective in causing temptation in our lives. Now once again, it's not the, you know, us with talking to a serpent, but in your mind and in your heart, what you will discover is these exact same strategies that caused Adam and Eve to eat that apple all those years ago are causing us to make the same choice over and over and over again. And the reason why I'm sharing this is I want you to be able to kind of look at your own lives, look in the mirror for a moment and go, hey, wait a minute. Am I falling for the very same thing that Adam and Eve did? In other words, in my life, has something crept in that didn't seem bad? I mean, it was just eating a piece of fruit, right? Eve could have said, what's the big deal? Is there some things in your life that have crept in where the enemy has caused you to not trust God in these two ways that he's caused you to do it? And here's the first one I want you to see if you can pick it out. Here's the first way that that the enemy erodes trust in God to increase temptation. 
creation. And I want you to see it again. Look at Genesis 3, 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So he said to the woman, okay, here is it. Did God really say you must not eat from, and what's that word right there? Any tree in the garden. Did you notice that? Did you, in other words, did you notice what he said? Any tree? In other words, did God say any tree? No, God said you can't eat from one tree. Like you can have all the trees, all the fruit, have all the fun, but just one singular tree. But what was the enemy doing? How was he trying to erode trust? Hey, um, Adam and Eve, is, is God the God that takes all the fun from life? Did you notice that? Is he the one telling you can't do anything? Thou shalt not do anything fun at all in life. Like don't eat any trees at all. You walk around the world, look at all the fruit. You can't do anything that you want to do. Notice how he kind of, kind of tempted by saying you can't trust God. He wants to take the fun. In fact, notice this. Look at verse 5. For God knows... Right? That then when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You're going to see things you didn't know before. He's holding out on you. And you will be like God. Oh, man, you could be so much greater if you do things your way rather than God. Trust your heart, Eve, Adam. Trust your feelings, knowing both good and evil. At the heart of how we begin to not trust God, what you saw the enemy do is make people, make Adam and Eve believe this basic premise. And I want you to see it. Here it is. Ready? That my ways are better than God's ways. Hey, listen, listen, you don't, you don't understand. Listen, see, God, he's taking all the fun out of your life. Like, not a single fruit. Do you know how good fruit is? I mean, I can't believe he doesn't want you to have any fruit. And he's like, well, no, no, he didn't say that. Oh, okay, wait. Hey, here, Eve, let, let me just say what. Um, listen, if you do things your way and how you feel, oh, you're not gonna be like God. You're not gonna know certain things. I mean, you're, you're gonna be kind of dumb. You're gonna miss out on everything he has. And at the end of the day, in that moment of temptation, what Adam and Eve believed was, Hey, my thoughts, my feelings are right now better than what God's way is. So I'm going to choose not just a piece of fruit. I'm going to choose a path that takes me and my feelings and what I desire and places it above God. Because here's the day, I don't trust him because what? I mean, God doesn't meet any trees, no fruit. God's taking all the fun. God's holding back from me. Here's why I say this. Do you know how successful the enemy still is in our culture today, getting people to believe that? Do you know how many people walk around this world and think, oh, religion, man, that just takes all the fun out of life. Like, if you follow God, I mean, come on, it's all it is. I mean, just read the Bible. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt never. Don't do that. Don't do anything that is funny. Don't make sure you don't drink. Don't party. Don't have sex. Like, hey, here's all the rules in your life because God wants to take all the fun from your life. How many have actually in your lives? I felt that at times. Like, I felt like that when I was young. Oh, this is what God managed me. If I follow the Lord, it takes all the fun out of life. But here's the reality. Is that true? Like, like think about this. What was Jesus' first miracle? Turn water into wine. At a party. <laughs> and not like a bottle. Like he, he was like, like five gallon, but I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was like a big party is what that was like. But, but what do we do? Oh, no, no, God just doesn't want to, he doesn't want you to party. He doesn't want you to have fun. And God's like, no, no, wait, my first miracle was turning water to wine at a wedding feast. When we get to heaven, God's going to throw a massive feast and party, and there will be wine there. Jesus said that's when he will partake of the fruit of the vine. In the prodigal son's story, God, when, when, when the person comes home, the, God the Father throws a great party. It's not a vegan party, right? There's like steak, and there's like, it's like a real party, and there's dancing, and there's singing, it's fun. And the same way when it comes to sex, and we, we talk about it, they go, oh man, God doesn't want, well, who created it? As mothers cover their children's ears. <laughs> like seriously, who designed it? Like do you guys realize there is an entire book in the Bible about sex? A lot of men's heads just looked up for the first time. Glad you joined us. <laughs> it's good you're here. Some of you are like, let's have a Bible study night, honey. It'd be great. 
We'll apply it too. It'll be great. We'll read. Yeah, it'll be great. It's, by the way, Song of Solomon. For those of you that so you don't have to Google that, you can just look that up yourself. Probably safer. And, and it was so, listen to this. It, it, it was so erotic, if you will, that, they, that in the Old Testament times, that kids weren't allowed to read that part of the Bible. Right? So, so, but what do we tell ourselves? I want you to see this. Oh, no, no. What God wants is take away the fun, take away the part. You can't drink, can't do this. But here's the reality it's just not true. Instead, what did God do? Did He try to protect us instead? Like when He created the rules, says, Hey, I don't want you to get drunk. What was He trying to do? I don't want you to have fun. No, I gave you the fruit of the vine. But here's what God understood that if you didn't do this in the right boundaries, that this alcohol could become an addiction and bondage. Some of you have probably dealt with that in your life. And if it's not you, you've, you've had someone you've loved that has been in bondage to it. There's over 15 million people in our nation right now that are in bondage and in treatment for alcohol. Like it, like it started out as this gift, but they didn't do it in the boundaries that God had said. And now what's happened is they're actually in bondage because they thought, well, God's just trying to take the fun from me. Not to mention over $249 billion a year is spent in our own country just to fight the battle of what's happening with alcoholism. Do you realize the school systems and what we can do for education and poverty, what it's done to our society? Over 100,000 people a year will lose their life to a bondage of something where God's saying, I didn't, I'm not trying to take your fun. I'm trying to protect you as your father. Do you see the difference? See what, what God was doing? Eve, I'm trying to protect you. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and what is Satan doing? No, no, no. He's trying to take any tree, every tree, everything away from you. You can't trust God. And I'm just telling you right now, listen to this, listen to this. The same exact thing is happening in our society. You look at what happens with um, sexual assault. 25% of women are sexually assaulted in a lifetime. It's just, it's a, a, unbelievable when you see the statistics. When you, when you see the number of people addicted to pornography and what that does to, to rewiring the brains and the science behind what, what, what that does. When, when you look at the 68 million sexually transmitted infections in our own nation and what happens, you have a world that said, oh God, no, you want to take all the fun away. And God's like, no, 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 I'm actually trying to protect you. I'm trying, I'm trying to protect you, and I'm your father. But what you don't realize is the enemy's been using the same tactics for thousands. He hasn't changed using the same tactics, the same nature. And what he's done is he's convinced, convinced our culture that to follow God and surrender our sexuality and our party and all of these things to him would be, would be to take fun away. And God's like, no, what it would do is I'm taking bondage away. And I wanted you to walk in the freedom and the wholeness, and I want to protect you. And I want you to enjoy it. And so I've created these rules. See, I remember, I remember I was in high school and I really had this conversation. It's kind of embarrassing to say. I, I don't know if I'll say it next to my son is here. But um, I remember being in high school going, okay, God, um, I don't want to go to hell. That doesn't sound like a great place. I want to go to heaven. But it seems like when I read your Bible, I went to church. And everything that's fun in life that I want to do, I can't do. So what I really want to do is live life my way. And right before I die, surrender my life to Jesus and then I'm good. It's a win-win. I really, listen to this, I really believe that. You know Why? Because I bought this lie. Because the same thing that caused Adam and Eve to fall caused me. And so I went my life and I have so much pain and so much regrets and so much shame and so much hurt as a result of living that life. And it wasn't until after I shipwrecked my own life and I realized, oh, wait a minute. My, my ways aren't better than God's ways. And all that time, I believed that God, you were, that you were robbing me of joy. You were actually trying to bring me a life of joy and fulfillment. And I believe the lie of the enemy that my ways are better than God's ways. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, see the core of trust? See, when you find yourself in the moment and go, it just feels like all oh, my friends are doing it. Oh man, I really want this, all this. And we sit there and go, but at the moment, do we really trust that God's ways are better than our ways? Because at the core, the more you trust God, the less tempting that will be. The more Eve begins to look at, okay, do I 
trust God or Satan in this moment. Like the more she trusts her father, that apple becomes less enticing in her life because she can see and she believes that God's ways are actually better, that God wants what's best for her and God knows what's best. See, that's the first thing that we see. Here's the second thing that I want us to see. And this is a big one. In fact, I think this is one of the biggest things that for the church world, at least, people that are here watching and listening to this, this is going to be the most convicting, I think, of all the temptations. And, and here's what you'll see, and I want you to see it. Because remember, God says, if you, if you eat of this fruit, uh, the tree, you, you will die. And notice what Satan says, and I want you to see this. This is powerful. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. In other words, okay, so, so what does this look like for you and me? Here, here, here's what I want you to see. Here's the temptation, right? God said it, but he didn't really mean it. No, okay, I want you to say this. So say, yeah, just say, yeah, I know he said that if you will do this, that you will die. He said it, but he didn't really mean it like that. Like, it's not that big of a deal, Eve. And I know he said it, but he didn't really mean it. Can I tell you something? This is one of the biggest things that we have done in the church today is God's word will speak something and say it and we'll read it, we'll go, yeah, but I don't think he like really, really meant that really. Like think about this, this is, this is convicting for me. Um, you know, the Bible says that, or God's word says, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if you do, you're actually giving a foothold, an access point of Satan into your life. Now, how many of us go, I read that verse, God said it, but you know what? I'm not sure he really meant that. Because how many times have we been in the midst of an argument and it's been 24 hours and we're like, no, I'm good. I mean, she was the one wrong, God, so she's the one that's got to come to me first. Like how many times have we actually sat there in our lives and held on to something, not really processed, not had the conversation, and it's been 24, 72, 36 hours, whatever it's been, and we know what God said, but we go, we didn't really mean that. Like he didn't actually mean that Satan's gonna get access to my heart, my emotions, my family by, by once again holding on to this unforgiveness and not dealing with this issue, right? Like, like it's like we don't actually believe that there's like this timer and in 24 hours there's a ring, you know, ring at the doorbell. Satan's like, hey, I'm here. I'm here to mess your life up. God said it, but we, we don't think he really meant it. But here's my challenge. But how many marriages have been destroyed because of that exact thing? How many families have fallen apart because somewhere along the line, God said, hey, listen, I want you to have 24 hours to resolve the conflicts. And we go, yeah, you said it, God, but I don't really think you meant it. And as a result, that little bit of a compromise, that little bit of going, I know you said it, but I don't really you meant it. Satan is getting access and he's caused bitterness and anger. And those fights begin to get escalated. And the anger begin to escalate to the point now we don't even love each other. We don't even care for each other. And now our children have grown up and seen dysfunction in marriage, which they might actually reproduce because it's all they've known. And Satan goes, I won. You know how I won? Because you didn't believe that God said it, but he didn't really mean it. What about this one? We'll just, I'm going to be all kind of convicting this next few moments, so you guys can have a lot of fun. This is great. What about, what about remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know God said it, but he didn't really mean that. I mean, that was an Old Testament thing. Well, actually, no, Jesus said the same thing. And actually, Jesus commanded that the Sabbath actually made for you, that you need this, and that God incorporated the Sabbath into your life as a way of life. Yeah, I understand he said that, but they didn't really mean that. Like, it's okay if, if we play traveling sports and we don't really have a Sabbath day to kind of come together as a family. I mean, God understands. Like, I know what he said. He didn't really mean it, though. Like, you realize how important volleyball is? Soccer, baseball, you fill in the blank. Like, like do, you, do you realize how important these things are in life? Like, I know what he said. Listen to this. I don't think he really actually meant it. Can, can, I, just tell, can I just challenge you something real quick? 
Like, like um, I, I used to go uh, drive to church years and years ago when we first started the church, and I, and I would drive by parks. And as I would drive by the parks and the fields, they were empty on Sunday morning. In fact, there was a time my dad was telling me that nothing was open on Sunday. Everything was Chick-fil-A back then. And it, was, it struck me the other day as I was driving to one of our campuses from, from here to there, and I drove by on a Sunday morning a couple parks, and I saw every one of them filled to the brim with people. People not in church. People who said, I know God said it, but he didn't really, like he didn't really mean it. Like a whole day to come together and rest, like do no work. Like you don't understand, God, I got things to do. Like we got to clean the house. Cleanliness is next to godliness, God. Like, do you see what I, like, I want us to understand something. Do you see how subtle it is and how the enemy gets us and we don't even realize, like, oh, we're just cleaning the house. Oh, we're just playing sports. I mean, sports are good. They are good. I love, love, love sports. I love, love to play sports all the time when I can. And so what happens in our lives is we begin to compromise little things and we know God said it, but he didn't really mean it. And now what's happened? Like you fast forward as, as families have no longer regarded the Sabbath and you look at what happens as generation of children have walked away from God and their emotional health and mental health and their, their depression and the anxiety is like upper, is like off the charts. We don't know how to deal with what's going on because they don't have this foundational trust with God because you know what? It wasn't a priority. Like you know, parents, it's really hard to tell them that God is first in their life and then put sports above God and still tell them they're gonna believe that or education above it. How many people, we don't, the homework is more important than youth group. Like, what I'm saying is, is that little by little what happens is God said it, we think he didn't mean it. And now we live our lives and we're stressed and we're anxious and we're robbed of intimacy and we're not healthy and we're not even enjoying life and we're overworked and all these problems and God's going, yeah. Because remember all those thousands of years ago when I created life and I created you and I told you you could trust me and that you could work for six days, but on the seventh day you'd arrest. In fact, do you know the penalty that God actually incorporated when you broke the Sabbath back in the Old Testament? Death. You think that's harsh. Yeah, you know why it's harsh? You know why God did that? Think about this. He knew it would only take one type A person. <laughs> hey, listen, if we open seven days a week instead of six days a week, look at the different profit margin we can get because our fix is spent. Look, look, so we just got to go ahead and do this and I'm going to require other people to work and you know what? We're all going to get richer, but we're just going to have to work that extra. It'll just be a season until we build and then, then we'll slow down. It only took one moment. We said, hey, listen, a Sunday's chore day, guys. We got stuff to do around the farm, stuff to do in the house. It's not going to pick up itself. So we just, listen, we're going to have to work and we can't rest. And here's what God understood. That all it'll take is those little compromises. And little by little, the house of God would get emptied. And little by little, people walk away and wouldn't have a foundation. And the enemy would have access to destroy them. And the whole culture would drift off course. And I'm just telling you something. Look at what's happened in our nation. We live in a county where 90% of people don't show up at church on Sundays. 90%. And somewhere along the line, it's not bad people, somewhere along the people, people bought the same lie. I know God said it, but he didn't really mean it. Do you see how the enemy works? It doesn't seem harmful, but God knows things that we don't know. He wants to protect us. He didn't give the Sabbath as this re religious ritual to hurt us. He says, the Sabbath is made for you. Like you needed this. I want to give you the ability to trust me with your future. I want you to enjoy your family. I want you to have rest. I want you every week to be in my house and my presence to, to redirect your life to the right course. And yet so many of us have drifted because what? Well, God said it, but he didn't really mean it. What, 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 we'll just get the final one and then we'll get to the, the good stuff, the last temptation. We'll just throw everyone under the bus right here. What about tithing? Yeah, we're just, everyone's being offended today. This is great. And the rest of them aren't so heavy, by the way. Yeah, but God says, like, I want you to take the whole tithe and bring it into my storehouse. That's, that's God's command in, in the Bible. 
In fact, he says, I want you to take all of the 10% of your profit, of your income, and I want you to do is I want you to take it, I want you to release it into my storehouse. He said, there may be food in my house. In other words, so God's church would be the place that ministers to the world, and therefore God gets the glory, and everyone sees how, how God created a system, and then God says, hey, if you will do this, I'll bless every part of your life, not just give you more money, but I'm gonna bless you in everything that you do, from your family, to your faith, to your relationship, all this. And yet how many of us go, yeah, I know he said it, but he didn't really... He didn't really mean that, did he? In fact, it's an Old Testament thing. No, it's not. Matthew 23, Jesus said the same exact thing about bringing a tithe into the storehouse of God. But how many of us don't do it? Well, God said it. He, he didn't really, like he didn't really. Yeah, in fact, he meant it so much. He says, if you take any of the 10%, that's not even yours, by the first 10% is God's, it's not even yours. And you use it to do other things like give to Aunt Martha or buy a new car. If you do anything, not only do you owe him that money, you owe interest of 20% to God. In fact, one day in Malachi 3, you could read it. There's people come together and they're just like, God, we don't understand. Why is our life not going well? Why are we so stressed? Why, are, why does it seem like you're not answering my prayers? Why are these problems? He goes, let me tell you why. Because you're robbing from me and you're taking the 10% that's supposed to be my storehouse and you're not doing that. You've created a better system, whatever that might be. And because you're not doing it, listen to this, that's why you're under a curse. But if you will be obedient to me and you will do what I've told you to do, then I'll bless everything in your life. Now listen to this. But what happened? Why? So they, they believe God said it. They knew the law, but they just thought God didn't really mean it. And I'm just telling you, listen to this, that some of you in this arena of your life, God's knocking on your heart going, hey, I want to bless you. I want to do so much in your heart. Jesus said this is going to be the greatest temptation between your money and God. You're going to want to do things outside of the way that God has for you. And God's given you the command, bring it into my storehouse, 10%, do that. And somewhere in your mind, well, I got a better plan, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this charity. I'm going to help my school. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all. I'm going to take your money and I'm going to decide to do something else rather than what you've commanded me to do. Because God, I know you said it, but you didn't really mean it. Do you know how many of us, listen to this, are walking outside, we're stressed out, we're missing things that God wants to do in us because somewhere in our lives, we know God said it, we don't question what the word is, we just don't think he really meant it. So here's my challenge to you. Do you trust God with your calendar? Do you trust God with how you deal with your marriage and relationship? Do you trust God what you do with your finances? Because at the core of the temptation, what the enemy is trying to do in you, the way he's getting access, it's not just causing you to do evil. It's convincing you that what you're doing isn't a big deal. That like God said it, he didn't really, really mean it. That your ways, your thoughts, it's not that God doesn't know, but you know what? I've, I've kind of got this better way. And I'm wondering if this moment, if you could go back to Adam and Eve and you could sit by that tree and then you could see that serpent there and there's that fruit and it's shiny and it's good and everything looks so good. And it's like, and, and Satan's sitting there doing, hey, listen, God said it, but he didn't really mean it. Hey, Eve, hey, he's holding out on your way is better than God's way. And I'm wondering if in that moment, if she would sit there and she would look at that shiny fruit and all the things that it would bring her and the desires that she's feeling in her heart. I wonder in that moment, if she could have just trusted God. Yeah, that looks good. And I, I don't understand why God withhold that from me. And I want it now. And I don't know why. I can't comprehend why he would withhold certain knowledge from me and wouldn't let me do certain things. But you know what? I mean, I trust him. Like he's my dad and he, lo he, he loves me. He created me. We walk in the garden. We look at everything that he built. He's pretty wise. Like I'm wondering in that moment if she would have trusted God more, if that would have been a whole lot less tempting to eat that fruit. I wonder if she could have learned that before. There she stood after eating that fruit, and for the first time, she's looking at the reflection in the mirror and comparing herself. 
I'm wondering if the first time she felt anxiety and fear about a future and uncertainty. I'm wondering if the first time she felt anger and they had this big fight between the two of them. I'm wondering if that moment when she at the funeral where her one son would kill her other son and then her other son would be banished. And she's going, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, dad, you, you really did have what's best for me. You, you were actually trying to protect me. I just, I just didn't trust you enough. It felt so good. It looked so good. I wanted it so bad, and I trusted that my ways were better than your ways, God. God, I, I know you said it. I just thought you didn't mean it. And I, if I could just go back to that moment and trust you, man, how different would my life be? That's my heart for us, guys. It's not about guilt and shame, making everybody feel bad. It's about helping you look in the mirror and recognize, has the enemy been just as successful in your life as he is Adam and Eve? Has the enemy robbed you of who God's called you to be and his favor and his blessing and the path that he's called you to live? Because somewhere in your life, you begin to tell yourself, my ways are better than God's ways. And I know God said it, but I don't think he really meant it. I was reminded of this with my son. I was talking to my oldest son, Scotty. And he was a little guy. It was many years ago. And I'll never forget this moment because he, um, grandma and grandpa give him money every year for Christmas. And um, we're like, well, what do you want? The sky's the limit. And somewhere online, he saw this. And this dinosaur, if it works still, which it does not. Um, well, maybe it does. I'm gonna turn it on. No, it doesn't work. There we go. Um, he saw this shiny dinosaur. And it would dance. It would walk around. It had a remote control. And it would, like, chew things. And his face would move. And my, my little son looked at that and go, Dad, I want that dinosaur. <laughs> And it's like $200 dinosaur, you know? And I'm like, that's like your biggest Christmas present, buddy. And he goes, are you sure you want this dinosaur? Yeah, I want this dinosaur. And I just said, hey, can I, can I talk to you? And I said, hey, Scotty, listen to me. Um, like, I'm just telling you right now, this dinosaur is shiny and it looks really good. You really want it. And you're gonna love it for an hour. And then the dinosaur is going to sit there and run in the same circle, make the same sound, and you are going to get bored with it. And you're going to take all this stuff that you had for Christmas, and you're not going to want this dinosaur. Why don't you buy, like, a Nintendo Switch instead? Like, you're going to, we have video games, we can play together. You're going to enjoy that so much more than this. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, yeah, Daddy, thank you, but no, 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 I, I, want, I want the dinosaur. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I want, Daddy, I want the dinosaur. And, and it was amazing. So I, I waited like a day or two because I was like, I know, I knew what's best for him and I knew he wouldn't want it. So I went back in and said, hey, I haven't bought the dinosaur yet for you, um, but I just wanted to give you one more chance. I'm just telling you, buddy, will you trust me? And here's what's interesting is Scotty does trust me. He trusts me to take care of him when he's hurt, comes to daddy. He trusts me to feed him and clothe him and take care. So he trusts me, but not as much as his feelings when he saw that dinosaur. <laughs> And I remember just like a second time, buddy, listen, you're not gonna, I'm just telling you, you're not gonna want the dinosaur. Come on, would you trust your dad? I want what's best for you. I know what's best for you. Get the Game Boy. You're gonna have so much more fun. No, dad, I, I, listen, I, I, listen, I know what I want. I want the dinosaur. And so we bought the dinosaur. Christmas morning, he opened it up and it was running around. The dog was chasing it. And he's like, my dad's an idiot. I know exactly what's best. This is the greatest thing in the world. And the next day came around. He didn't like that dinosaur anymore. <laughs> and he was bored in a day. And I'll never forget him coming up to me and he goes, Daddy, you're right. I really wish I would have got something else than the dinosaur. And I thought to myself for a moment and I go, isn't this God? Like, isn't this God in our own lives? 
where, where, where we look at so many things and we look at our business, you look at money or we look at certain superficiality, we look at sexuality, we look at, you know, part, we, whatever it is. And we, we look at these, and we look at these things in our lives and God's saying, hey, listen, trust me. I know what's best for you. I want what's best for you. And my ways are better than your ways. And I meant it if I said it. And, and listen, there's power in my word and you just got to trust me and follow me. And we're just like, yeah, but God, I trust you in some other things. But man, I want this. Here's my question to you. What is your dinosaur? Like, what is it in your life? Is it the, don't the sun go down in your anger? Is it how you treat your, your marriage in the right priority or how you fulfill your role in marriage that God's given you? Is it sexuality? Is it alcohol? Is it tithing? Is it unforgiveness? Is it your calendar and the Sabbath and making spiritual priorities in your life? Like, what is it in your life where you've convinced yourself God said it, but he didn't really mean it? What is it in your life where you think, well, you know what, God, I, I know what your word said, but I think my way is better than your ways. Because of the heart, what I want you to see is your heavenly father doesn't want to take away your joy. He wants to give you life to its fullness. And he knows things that you don't know. And, and he understands things that you don't understand. And what we don't realize is so often what the enemy does is he doesn't get us off our course with some evil, horrible decision. He gets us off course by convincing us, just like Adam and Eve, hey, you know what? God said it. he didn't really mean that, though. I mean, there's a reason why I don't do that. Hey, my ways are better than God's ways. And I'm just challenging you. What do you need to trust God in more? Because as you begin to trust God and your trust in God increases, the temptation will decrease. But the less you begin to trust God, you think your ways are better and God said you're going to I'm telling you something, listen, the harder temptation will be to overcome and the more it will impact and influence your life. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for loving us so much that you know what's best. That God, there's just such wisdom in your word. And every word you spoke, you meant. It will come to pass. There's power, there's truth. So God, I just pray that you begin to um, pull back the veil and help us begin to see the lies of the enemy and where we've kind of bought into that lie. And may we understand that your ways are better than our ways. And may we understand, Father, that if you said it, you meant it. And God, fill our faith, build our trust to help us overcome the temptations of this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.